Good morning, everybody. How's everybody doing? Oh, come on. Good morning. How's everybody doing? Left me hanging there. We are on October 15th. We're going to be having a baptism service. So if you would like to be baptized, there's a sheet out there on the, on the, in the front entry there where all the other sheets are. And uh, please go ahead and put your name on there, and uh, I'll give you a call. We have a little baptism meeting, and on the 15th, we'll have a baptism service where we'll baptize people. So if that's something you're interested in, if you're not really sure what it is, come talk to me. I can, uh, I can definitely explain that to you. Uh, if you know what it is and you're feeling like, yeah, it's time, uh, it's re- ready to go, then uh, come and sign up on that sheet. Come see me, and we'll, uh, we'll do that on October 15th. For the rest of you, uh, go ahead and open up. Oh, oh, here we go. Open up your Bibles to Ezekiel chapter one. Ezekiel chapter one. All right. You still with me? Yeah, yeah. How many of you need a wake-up call right now? <laughs> Jenny, you're not supposed to raise your hand. <laughs> um, you guys remember wake-up calls? You ever been to a hotel and you ask for a wake-up call? Yeah, you are the wake-up call, right? Yeah, I remember when I used to travel years and years ago. I used to travel, and I would always call the front desk and get a wake-up call. And back then, this is just the '90s. Back in the '90s, there would actually be a person who calls you. Remember those days when it was people talking to people? Uh, The other last time I traveled and I did a wake-up call, you answer. It's like, "Hello, good morning." This is your wake-up call, you know? You're like, oh, man, where did the people go? I used, to, I used to like hearing, good morning, Mr. Naki. This is your wake-up call. Have a nice day. It's like, that's the way to wake up, right? Not with some computer talking to you. But anyway, this morning, we're talking about a very interesting wake-up call. Wake-up calls come in a lot of different ways. Sometimes it's that meeting with your boss. It's like, you know, come on, uh, you better shape up or you're going to be shipping out. Or sometimes there may be a near brush with death. And it kind of gives you that wake-up call. Well, this morning, we're going to talk about a wake-up call from the prophet Ezekiel and uh, see how he handled it. Bow your heads with me. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this morning. And now as we just turn to the Word of God, I pray in Jesus' name, Lord, that you would just bring out one thing or maybe a couple things, Lord, that we would would, uh, be built up by and edified by, even challenged by as we go about our week. In Jesus' name, amen. Going to Ezekiel chapter one. Ezekiel, in, in our in our in our series with the history makers, Ezekiel is one of those exiled prophets. In other words, there still is a Jerusalem. There still are people there, but they had been conquered, kind of in part already, by the Babylonians, and there had been a bunch of exiles shipped over to Babylon in the history of the Israel of the Jewish nation. And so Ezekiel is one of those priests who have already been shipped over to Babylon. And it says here on the fifth month, in the fifth year of the exile of King Jehoiakim, the word of the Lord came to Ezekiel the priest. Being a priest was Ezekiel's job. Now we'll find out in a moment that that was his career. He was a paid priest. But just because something is your career doesn't necessarily mean it's going to be your calling. And so he has the career of priest, but God 
is going to change that career from priest to prophet. And we'll see that in a minute. It says, the word of the Lord came to Ezekiel the priest, the son of Buzi. Buzi. He had a real problem. Yep. <laughs> By the Kibar River <laughs> in the land of the Babylonians. There, the hand of the Lord was on him. If you read the rest of Ezekiel chapter 1, we're not. I, I toyed with it, but really the visions are quite bizarre, okay? Uh, if Jacob had a dream of the ladder going up and down and Isaiah saw visions, then what we would describe for Ezekiel is nothing short of a nightmare. Uh, they are, you know, he's got visions of goats and eagles and all of these heads and all these eyes, even the wagon wheels have eyes and mouths that are speaking and so it's really bizarre and, and all of those visions they have a, they have a point and a purpose and, and 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 they're good and all that but it wasn't until i came to verse 25 that i had my aha moment for the whole book of ezekiel ezekiel sees jesus christ before jesus is born of mary check it out says here, then there came a voice from above the vault over their heads as they stood with lowered wings. All these angels now that he's seeing in his, in his dream, his wake-up call, they've all lowered their wings. Why? Because they're standing at attention because someone of higher rank is here. He says, above the vault over their heads, what looked like the throne of Lapis Lazuli, and high above the throne was a figure like that of a man. Ezekiel looks up and says, all these bizarre things, when you look all through it and you look to the highest point, you see standing above them all a man. Look how he describes him. I saw that from what appeared to be from his waist up, from his waist up looked like glowing metal as if full of fire. And from there, he looked down like fire. In other words, from the waist up, like going metal. From the waist down, like burning fire. And brilliant light surrounded him everywhere. Like the appearance of the rainbow in the clouds on a rainy day, so was the radiance around him. And what does Ezekiel say? This was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. And he says, when I saw it, I fell face down. And I heard the voice of one speaking. Now, those of us, you know, Christmas is coming up, Lunar Christmas play, all this stuff, and we think about the baby Jesus coming in. We do not know who he really was. But Ezekiel did. Ezekiel knew exactly who was coming. A man who looked like glowing metal from the waist up, burning fire from the waist down. Light was radiating all around him, this was Jesus. This is Jesus. Sure, the baby in the manger, but also the exalted, glorious man who's speaking to Ezekiel. Ezekiel saw Jesus before Jesus came as a man. He saw God more clearly than any other prophet. What does Ezekiel say? He says, this was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. Every other Old Testament prophet wouldn't say that. Why? Because they knew if they saw it, they'd drop dead. Moses didn't see it, right? Moses was pushed in a rock. God said, you, you can't see. You can't see my front. You can only see my back, you know? Uh, Jacob didn't see. Well, you know, all, a lot of these people, 
all these prophets before, they, none of them saw more clearly the coming glory than Ezekiel did because Ezekiel was going to have a prophetic mission to begin heralding not only the return of the exiles, but the coming of the Messiah. And so God gives him this sneak peek to be able to see that. And it says that his response was humility. Uh, Ezekiel fell face down. Face down. Before God could show Ezekiel his purpose in life, he needed to see who was giving him that purpose. For many of us, we may be asking, why am I here? What is my purpose? What am I called to do? Is it just to go and build widgets every day? Is it just to do this? Or is there something more? And the fact of the matter is, Ezekiel says, yes, there's a lot more. But until you can see why you are here on this planet, you need to understand who created you. You need to understand how big God is and how small we are. We need to understand that our need of God is huge and his need of us is nil. There's something that's amazing that that God is doing with Ezekiel so that he can remind him, Ezekiel, you have a calling and you have a created purpose, but you need to understand who's giving you that calling. Who's giving you that calling? That calling is this, the man that had glowing metal up above, radiance down below, and bright and brilliant light shining all around him. I don't know about you, but when Ezekiel described that dude, that's a dude I never want to mess with. If that's the one who's sending me, I can trust that dude. I can trust that. That's a pretty good sender. That's a pretty powerful sender. He says, and this is the calling in Ezekiel chapter two, he says, son of man, I am sending you. Ezekiel, this is your purpose. I am sending you to the Israelites, to a rebellious nation that has rebelled against me. They and their ancestors have been in revolt against me to this very day. In other words, it's not bad enough that half of you have been exiled. They still haven't changed. They still haven't repented. They still are, are just, just, just in rebellion against me is what God is saying. He says, the people who I'm sending to you, verse 4, are obstinate and they are stubborn. So God says, say this to them. And whether they listen or fail to listen, this is interesting. God says, I want you to speak in my name. I don't want you to worry about whether they listen to you or not. There's something chilling in that verse. Each one of us will stand before God and be held accountable for whether we listened to the people God sent to us or not. You know, God's saying, look, Ezekiel, it's not your problem to convince It's just simply your problem to speak. You let that go and let me take over after there. So he says, for they are rebellious people and they will know that a prophet has been among them. And you, son of man, do not be afraid of them or their words. Do not be afraid, though briars and thorns are all around you and you live among the scorpions. Do not be afraid of what they say or be terrified by them, for they are rebellious people. But you must speak my words to them. You must There's that sense of, I must do this. I must do this. Whether they fail to listen or whether they listen or fail to listen, for they are rebellious. Now, in order to understand our purpose, we need to understand our identity. And if you look at the next slide, how we are created by God is very, very important. You will find that in the human being and their identity, you have these five distinct things at work. And as the Bible describes a human being, 
The Bible always describes a human being in terms of the spiritual, the family, the social, the physical, and their work. All of those are very, very important. All of those make up who you are. All of those need to be in balance. And all of those need to be a part of our identity. For example, if you fail to give proper attention or care to the physical, you may be called to do a lot of things, but you're going to be fragmented. It's going to be very hard to fulfill that calling because the physical is out of whack. Right? If you don't pay attention to the work, you might be have this great purpose. There's all these things you want to accomplish, but you have no work base with which to do it. I mean, let's face it. God uses our work to finance our ministries. Uh, social. Look, there might be a reason you have no friends. <laughs> Maybe the problem is you, you know? So you got to... Know, some of you are going, no, 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 it's not me, it's not me, it's not me. Family. Okay, granted, some of you may have come from great families. Some of you may have come from horrible families. This right here is a family. For me, in the state of California, you're the only family I got. And I consider you as such. And last but not least is the spiritual. Last but for if because God has created us, <coughs> excuse me, as spiritual beings, if we set goals that go against the spiritual, what happens is this. It's not that God smites you, <laughs> almighty smiter. <laughs> <I know. laughs> yes. I recently saw that movie. <laughs> smite me, almighty smite. Um, it's not, it, 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 here's what happens. When any one of those three you begin to neglect and it gets out of the will of God, you become fragmented. Fragmented. And over 20 years of ministry, I can tell you, people come in and they, what they think is God is against me. What they don't realize is God loves them but they are fragmented because one of these areas isn't running on all cylinders. And I can tell you this, 90% of the time, it's the one in the middle. It's the one in the middle. Because quite frankly, the other four are pretty easy fixes, right? Uh, you know, physical, I mean, stop eating the Cheetos and all of a sudden things get better, <laughs> right? Social, just be quiet and know everybody will like you. I'm just kidding. Yeah, no. <laughs> you know, family, come to church. You know, it's that same. <laughs> but when it comes to the spiritual, that can often be the one where we struggle the most. And so with each part of these forming our identity, what we find is for Ezekiel, he has a very strong identity. He has a family. He's with his family, the Jews in exile. He... Uh, has a huge social life. He's a priest. He's meeting with people all the time. Uh, he's physical. Hey, it took a lot to walk 1,500 miles from uh, Israel to ancient Persia. And then he's got a job. He's a priest. He's, he's, he's getting paid for this. Oddly enough, the Babylonians kept most of those things in place. So the priest still got paid. The masons still got paid. The smiths still got paid. All these people, they, they kept their economy intact. What Ezekiel's problem was, was the spiritual. And you say, why was it that? Ezekiel in his heart was like, God, we were the chosen people. We lived in the promised land. And now we're here. 
I don't know if it works like I thought it worked. Maybe it doesn't work. Maybe faith doesn't work. Maybe the Bible doesn't work. Maybe God isn't the way we think he is. Maybe he is just some impersonal force out there doing something somewhere. He's struggling with the spiritual. And so God says, you know what, Ezekiel? My word is going to come to you. My visions are going to come to you. You are going to see that all of your doubts are going to be satiated and all of your concerns are going to be set aside for a greater call than what I put with from what I put on you. But he had to recognize these areas. Let's go to the next slide. I wanted to read this to you. Uh, If you go on your discussion sheet and look on the very front of the sheet, uh, this is something that I had put in my my journal, uh, my journal that I keep on my sermons. And I want to just read this for you. Granted, we don't hear much about calling anymore. Because our society is educated to think in terms of career. But here is something you need to know. Your profession is not your calling. Your profession is your paycheck. Your profession is what God uses to finance your calling. A calling is something that God chooses for me. A career is often something I choose for myself. A career promises status money or power, and a calling generally promises some difficulty, even some sacrifice or suffering, but it's a mission that we feel deep in our bones, an opportunity to be used by God. A career is often about upward mobility. A calling can generally lead to downward mobility. A career ends with retirement and lots and lots of toys, but a calling, a calling isn't over until the day you die. The rewards of a career might be quite visible. They are merely temporary. The results of a calling, you may never see this side of heaven. One day you'll see them. Often we think that the ministry requires a calling and the marketplace is choosing a career. But that is not true. I have seen that it is quite possible to turn a ministry into a career that focuses on advancement and achievement. And on the other hand, it's quite possible to make a business a calling that truly impacts the mission of God. In a career, you either retire or you get fired. In a calling, it is part of you. You can't retire it. You can't run from it. Nobody can take it away from you. It's with you until your dying breath. It's more than what you do. It's who you are. And so for Ezekiel, his career was priest. And he made money off being a priest. But God made it very clear, that's not your calling. That's your profession. It's going to finance your true calling. And what was Ezekiel's calling? I am sending you to be a what? A prophet. To the nations. And so one of the real questions that I find in Ezekiel is how do we find our calling? How do we find our purpose? How do we know 
God's plan for our lives. I get this so often. Tom, how do I know what I've been called to do? It's easy for you. You know what you're called to do because you're one of the lucky ones where your job is your call. Let me tell you something right now. It's not. I don't work as a church 24-7. There's times where I clock out. There's times where I turn my phone off and nobody can get a hold of me. And a lot of you say, amen. amen. <laughs> Someone said that's true. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's true. You know why? Because I'm not a pastor. I'm not a, a, a career pastor 24-7. I have hours. I keep them. And when I'm not off them, I'm, I'm not off them. But the call to teach the Bible and be an example of it never goes away. I'm a football coach, and on Saturday mornings, we had a football game, football scrimmage. And uh, so I'm technically working for NOR, and I, I am working because they're actually paying me a little bit. And so I am working for the NOR, and, and one of the kids on the team uh, just, you know, just was really scared. We, we were sixth graders, and we were playing kids that were twice the size of me. Supposedly, they're sixth graders, too. Uh, but, I mean, they were like, you know, it was, it, it was just, you know, we got creamed. But this kid, I remember he took one look at them and said, I don't want to play. <laughs> I remember thinking to myself, I don't blame you. I pulled him aside. I said, look, I said, I'm going to tell you something right now. You don't play, then you'll regret it. He's like, I won't. <laughs> I said, no, in time you will, because you'll make a lifestyle of this. Whenever you see big kids, you'll always run. I said, you get out there. You try your best. You hit as hard as you can. Whether we win or lose, it doesn't matter. Right now, it's that you get out there and play the game. And then I looked at him and I said, I'm going to pray for you that God gives you the strength to get out there. So I know you're not supposed to say that. NOR, I mean, there's rules and everything. You're not supposed to cross that line. And if I get fired for it one day, then so help me God, I get fired for it. But I said it. And I said it and saw the truth in my eyes when I said it. Now listen to me. I was not acting under LifePoint Church. In that. I was not recruiting him or his family to come to the church. I was not acting under LifePoint Church. I wasn't doing my pastoral duty that I am accountable for all of you to do. No, it wasn't any of that at all. You would have never known had I not told you this story. It's just, it becomes a part of you. Whether I'm doing this full time or not, it becomes a part of who you are. And this is what happened to Isaiah. So how do you find that part of who you are? And then you do it to your dying breath. Point number one, allow God to break in and renew your mind. It says in Ezekiel 1, the word of the Lord came to Ezekiel to the priest. It's not that he didn't have a Bible around. It's that that Bible was not giving him the direction to go and do what God had called him to do. So the word of the Lord came and Ezekiel's mind was renewed. In Romans chapter 12, verse 2, it says, do not conform to the patterns of this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. It begins here. This gets renewed by the word of God. This gets renewed by prayer. This gets renewed by worship. This gets renewed by taking our eyes off of the world and putting it on God. And when we put our eyes on God, this gets renewed. Hank Hanegraaff of the Christian research firm said that the average American citizen over the course of one year will pray 
less than six minutes a year. Can you imagine that? We live in a country that does not pray. But here's the thing. The average American will spend less than six hours either reading the Bible or receiving Bible teaching over the course of a year. So during those times where we're opening up our heart and our spirit, God's got six hours and six minutes to break in and do something. Now, you know, God can do it like that. But I'll tell you this much. There's something to be said about patient seeking, diligent discovery to find the purpose that God has. And part of that comes from allowing God to renew our mind far more than six hours and six minutes a year. Point number two, become a need noticer. God showed Ezekiel the need. He says, son of man, I'm sending you to the Israelites, to a rebellious nation that has rebelled against me. And he says, do you see the need? <laughs> Ezekiel, look at the need. Your people are in trouble, Ezekiel. Your people are floundering. Your people are about to walk away from everything and just give up on God. Do you see the need, Ezekiel? Ezekiel's going, uh-huh, uh-huh. Here is a good statement. Humble people do not need to be noticed. Humble people notice the need. Humble people do not need to be noticed. Humble people notice the need. When I look for people to work with here at the church, I tend to shy away from the ones that need to be noticed, that need to be, you know, uh, I don't know, whatever. I mean, just need, they need to be noticed. Oh, there goes the great worship lady, or there goes the great, you know, da, 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 da. I mean, you know, I'm not picking on you, Caitlin. <laughs> but, but, you know, there goes, there goes, you know. And, and when somebody's like, yeah, yeah, that feels great. I need that. I'm like, I don't know. There's something about that that just doesn't ring true to the heart of God. But when somebody's like, you know what? I've noticed this need, and I want to be a part of fixing it. Hey, Tom, this light is out. I'm going to come here this week, and I'm going to change out that light. You know, hey, Tom, I've noticed something over in the kids' center. Uh, you mind if I go ahead and start a junior high program? Because you know what? There's no junior high program here at the church. You know, I love working with people who notice the need. Why? Because that's humility. Humble people need to be. Humble people do not need to be noticed. Humble people notice the need. And uh, I've got a, just a short little clip here. This week, I uh, I went to a movie, and uh, this movie was really all about the message. And so, if you just give me a few minutes here, it's only a two minute clip, but I want to show it, and then I want you to catch the line in it that hopefully will help in this whole process of trying to define our call. Let's show the clip here. It's not there? No clip there? It was a great clip. It might be down at the bottom. Was I too lazy and I never put it in the middle? See, right now, Christina's noticing the need, and she walked over from the sound booth to the... <laughs> If it's not there, it's not there. Okay, we'll just, we'll just say it's not there. <laughs> Number three, listen to your dissatisfaction. We have been taught as a society that dissatisfaction is a bad thing. Avoid it, push it under the rug, take a pill for it, do everything to get away from it, plaster on a smile, but whatever you do, you know, 
don't kind of give in to dissatisfaction or accept dissatisfaction, right? Everybody's got to bear their cross. Everybody's got to have their life of suffering. So just accept that dissatisfaction is from God. Here's what I like to say to you. Sometimes God will put dissatisfaction in front of you in order to show you this is the need I want you to meet. A lot of times I'll say, oh, Tom, I have a dissatisfaction in this area. Great. What are you going to do about it? God's showing you that. And honestly, that dissatisfaction is greater in you than me. And so let's do it. Let's get it done. By, and by us, I mean you. You know? <laughs> you know, God might be using the uncomfortable parts of dissatisfaction to show us the need. So allow God to renew your mind. Notice the need. Listen to your dissatisfactions. Maybe God is allowing that dissatisfaction to brew in your heart because he's calling you to be the answer to that dissatisfaction. And finally, take seriously your gifts and your skills. God is not calling you to do something you're not gifted to do. I remember early on when we were building the kids' center, I remember thinking, this is why God has called me down to Bakersfield. I am going to build the kids' center, you know? And I'm back there, and I'm trying to help. After about a week, you know, all the men of the church are like, you know, Pastor Tom, you don't need to come tonight. It's okay, you know? Why don't you go pray for somebody, you know? Uh, translation, because that's what you're good at. You're not good at, you know? So, you know, and, and, I, and I was like, okay, you know, it's kind of humbling, but all right, you know, that's, that's what I'll do. 1 Peter 4.10 says, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's grace. And last but not least, God's heart is not only that we do the calling, but that we feel it. It's going to be something you're passionate about, something that moves not only your feet, but your heart as well. One time when I was in chapel in college, I was sitting next to my professor, and they had four people give the same, the whole point was to show how a one Bible passage could be preached four ways. And so in chapel, we had to hear four sermons. Some of you are thinking, oh my goodness, I can barely sit through the one I'm listening to right now. How could Tom sit through the four? I sat through four, and at the end of it, I said, you know, wow. I said, yeah, they're all pretty good. And my professor said, yeah, but only one is called to the ministry. I was like, how do you know that? Did God, like, speak to you? And I said, so I looked at him, I said, well, how do you know? How do you know which one is called? He said, the one who spoke with tears in his eyes, that's the one who's called. It should move you to emotion. Allow God to renew your mind. Notice the need. There's a need out there. Listen to your dissatisfaction. What are you dissatisfied with? Maybe God's calling you to be the answer. And then finally, take seriously your gifts and talents. Put all of those together, and you're going to get pretty close to where God is calling you. I know that I am living in the twilight of the American church. I have for 22 years faithfully been a ministry leader in a church, 18 of them full-time as my job, never taking a break, and I never want to, for this is my calling. Sometimes I love it, and sometimes, sometimes. <laughs> but for me, this is it. But in this twilight that I speak of, it's quite clear that if current trends continue with only 4% of the millennial generation financially supporting the Christian church, in other words, 
for those who are 32 years old or younger, only 4% of them give anything to a Christian church, financially supports a Christian church. The job of full-time pastor will soon vanish. In the years to come, if I want to eat, live in a house, or have clothes on my back, I will have to find a job outside of being a full-time pastor. And people have asked me, Tom, when that happens, will you just take a break then? Will you take a break from ministry then? <laughs> and believe me, there are days. <laughs> but the fact of the matter is, is no, never. To my dying breath, I know that my purpose is to teach the Bible and to be an example of it. First to my family and then to my community. That is my calling. Is who I am, is who I always will be. Even when I try to run from it, it just seems to be, and I have, it seems to be right there in front of me. I met a man at a conference I was at last week. He's 86 years old, and he retired from being a full-time pastor at 65. And I said, well, what do you do now that you're not in ministry? And he looked at me and said, son, you can retire the position. You can never retire the call. I was humbled, beautifully humbled. I smiled. I said, oh, I love it. That feels good when I get a little soul smack, you know? That felt great. Whatever career I have after ministry, it'll only to be to provide for my one true purpose. This is what Ezekiel shows us, and this is what I hope you'll find before you breathe your last. Why are you here? What is your purpose? What is your calling? What renewal of your mind have you sought? What need has God shown you that perhaps you've said, oh, somebody else is going to do that? What complaint keeps coming to you that you've said, oh, somebody else does that? What skills or talents do you bring to the table that is only used for your career, but never for your call? When you answer that question, you will have joy in the midst of suffering. You will have peace in the midst of stress. You will have hope in the midst of discouragement. And you will have Jesus in the turbulent storms of this temporary world. Bow your heads with me. So what is it? Allow God to renew your mind. Notice the need. Listen to your dissatisfactions. And take seriously those skills and talents that God has developed in you. But really, before we can get to the point of purpose or call, we have to have a real relationship with Jesus. So this morning, I want to make a very simple invitation. Would you like to get right with God and become a follower of Jesus who died on the cross for your sins who has a purpose for you a plan and through all the suffering and trials of this world he will never abandon you it won't be easy it won't be pretty God's not a genie we don't just snap and he does everything it's God plays by the rules of earth just as much as we're called to but you will have a purpose and a calling that little box that said spiritual 
will be filled and the fragment will be healed. So this morning, if you'd say, you know what? I do. I want to make Jesus my Lord and Savior. I want to become a follower of him. Just go ahead and look up at me right now. Amen. 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 Why don't we say this together? Say, Lord Jesus, thank you for forgiving my sins. I make you my Lord and Savior. Fill me with your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.